0: Um, So this is uh, one of our summer refresher series. We've been doing these once a week, lunchtime, on Tuesday or Wednesday, little mini trainings on sort of skills refreshers or uh, conceptual refreshers. This one's gonna be on motivational interviewing and I'll be doing another one next week as well. Same time, um, same place, same link. Actually, I don't know if that's accurate (laughs) but definitely the same time. Um, And uh, we may do more of these in the future. This is sort of uh, a a new training series idea that we've been working with, how to make there be smaller chunks of information and training because I know we do a lot of things that are much longer And they're wonderful, but uh, it's a big time commitment. So I'm Elizabeth Mackey. I'm one of the lead implementation specialists on the team. Um, If if you've been to our trainings before, you may have seen me before. Um, I'm trying to think of what the last training I worked on was probably one of our training collaboratives, uh, a very long one on systems oriented care, and before that, harm reduction. Um, I'm a social worker. My background was in uh, the public mental health sector as a clinician and a manager um, for years. And then I've been working with PMHP for about two and a half years. All right, so I wanna just introduce a little bit about how we're going to, what, what training content will actually be used for today. It's not all my own. We're actually going to go through some modules from, or a module from the Center for Practice and Innovations at CPI. Um, that's affiliated with Columbia University in New York. Um, so, how to how to orient to this? You all have, because of your role working for DMH or FSP teams, um, contract agencies, you have availability. Uh, you have available to you an opportunity to log in and access a lot of uh, training content that you could do at any point in time with yourselves, your teams, whomever. Um, and this is a list of the training modules that you have access to. And then I'm gonna go through just a few slides really quickly. And again, you'll have these slides so you can go through on your own time and uh, log it in and sign up, et cetera. Um, but these are the topics that CBI has modules on. So it's a specifically curated list that we worked on with Columbia, with CBI to determine what would be the best fit for, um, Um, for FSP teams. New York uh, doesn't have FSP. New York has ACT. So you'll see ACT mentioned in some places here, for example. Over here on the left side is sort of community treatment specific, but everything else is really geared towards the exact work that you do. And if you're here today and you're not part of FSP, no problem. Um, Hopefully this is just as relevant to you. All right. So again, not going to go through this in detail, but this is a series of screenshots on how you can access uh, a login for the these training modules. You're going to go to our website, click on this, click on that. <laughs> Don't need to take notes here. These will be available to you. Um, this is just noting you're going to create an account and reminding you what in the world this is. This is just a, a training entity that we partner with that does really relevant work to us. And you'll create an account. Um, so, for those that aren't FSP, that aren't employed by FSP, uh, you'll be you'll have to send us an email just to request access, and we'll get back to you um, as soon as possible on that. Um, one thing to know: it, once you do register, um, it'll take 24 hours for your <clears throat> um, for the training modules to populate in your um, open curriculum option. So, if you don't see anything in the first day, that's why. Um, But otherwise, it's pretty straightforward, easy to explore, easy to track what you've done and what you haven't done. Um, Most of these modules are under 20 minutes. Some are interactive. Some are just watching a video. Um, So that's that's that. Okay. And for today, so what I'm going to do is a bit of a blend. I'm going to go through actually one of these training modules because it's nice and interactive and has some exercises that we can go through together as a group, which seems to me much more interesting and fun than doing it on your own. Um, And then I'm just going to go through some slides to really reinforce what uh, was learned in the training content. So today's topic is going to be motivational interviewing, and we're going to focus on engagement, um, establishing the relational foundation. Uh, Next week, we're going to focus on focusing uh, the strategic direction. And if there's time, we might get into a little bit on evoking. And by evoking, I mean evoking change talk. Um, And then maybe at a later date, we'll do uh, sort of like evoking version 2, which is uh, sustaining change talk. All right. Any questions so far?
1: Just going to double
0: check the chat real quick. Great. So uh, this is going to have some animation, um, which will be nice. Nice to have things move on the screen. But I'm going to be doing the talking. and <clears throat> please, again, feel free to uh, unmute yourself if you have questions or comments um, or use the chat, and I will keep up with it as best as I can. All right. So, today we're going to be talking about uh, motivational interviewing, building conversations for change. Um, in this module or in today's module and in the presentation following, we're gonna talk about the motivational interviewing process of engaging and that's where you establish and build a relational foundation with your clients. All right, so uh, you don't need to see. All right, so let's start with an example. Um, Chime in in the chat if you've ever experienced something like this. So let's say you're working with Angie, who smokes cigarettes and she says, I know I should stop for my health, but it really helps me relax. Is that something you've heard before where people both know they maybe shouldn't be doing something that it's not good for their health, but they also really like doing the thing, they experience ambivalence.
1: I see a thumbs up, okay,
0: yes. Lots, I can think of many things in my life where that is the case (laughs) very often, yes. All right, so let's just start with a little bit of an exercise. What do we think here? What what is the response that we might give to Angie here on the left um, to her statement? I know I should stop for my health, but it really helps me relax. And let's consider these one, two, three, and four going left to right. So the first option would be like, you feel two ways about your smoking. It helps you relax, but you also worry about your health. Number two, you know, if you don't stop smoking, you can end up dying early. Number three, yoga might be a way to relax without having to smoke and number 4 aren't you worried about the effect your smoking has on the people around you all right we're seeing some option ones agree with one one. one first one you feel two ways yeah okay i agree let's do that what you're missing here is the satisfaction of dragging something into the box and being told it's the best response okay so I think if anyone's had some MI exposure, they are recognizing this as a double side reflection. So you're reflecting on both aspects of what uh, Angie is saying, and you're you're trying to do it in a way that leaves out any potential for judgment or criticism. It keeps the conversation going. Um, it's gonna highlight both the pros and the cons of Angie smoking as she perceives them. So. This ambivalence uh, in the small example is super common. We all experience it around so many aspects of our life. Um, and in the rest of the training today, we're gonna go through tools and strategies that will aid you in helping people work through their ambivalence and feel more motivated to make changes in their lives. Okay, so what we're gonna cover first is what is motivational interviewing? Doing a little defining. We're gonna talk about engaging. Um, we're going to talk about fours if that's familiar to you. Those are the open-ended quest- questions, affirming, reflecting, and summarizing skills. Um, we're going to talk about also, <clears throat> excuse me, reflective listening. Um, how just the discrete skill of reflective listening, and we're going to get into exploring values and goals. Okay, and here are some objectives. We can go through them a little bit. We hope that you, by the end of this training, this hour today can define MI and why it's important. Explain the four core motivational interviewing processes, which are engaging, focusing, evoking, and planning. Uh, Describe the four values that make up the spirit of MI. Uh, Describe some barriers to engaging and how to avoid them, including assessment, expert premature focus, and labeling traps. And uh, we'll hope that you'll be able to apply MI skills, including OARS, and explore, excuse me, explain how to explore values and goals and why it's important.
1: Okay. So what is MI? Um,
0: It's... MI is, I have the book actually right here. If anyone has seen this or not seen this, I know it's not mirrored, but this is it. This is the, the MI Bible, Motivational Interviewing. I think we're on the third edition now by uh, Bill Miller and I'm forgetting his first name, Stephen Rolnick. Um, sorry, Sasha, I'm just seeing your message. Okay, excellent. Um, so, MI is what you're going to use with folks when they're wanting to or you are working with someone and you see an opportunity where they might want to make a change. Maybe some aspect of their choices or behaviors isn't isn't working for them. And there's something about their experience with that behavior and its 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 impact, its consequences, that is just enough of a hook that they might want to make a change. So. It can't be that someone does not identify that there needs to be a, ch- a change. One thing we'll go through a little bit later is just a little bit of a refresher on the diagram of stages of change. And for the most part, MI is most effective when people are in contemplation, not in pre-contemplation. So if someone doesn't see, I like drinking tea, I feel like there's nothing wrong with it, right? This is my yerba matu. I, I can't I can't see any reason to change. Am I probably isn't going to work on me because I don't, I'm not experiencing any negative consequences from my tea drinking. It's pretty much 100% good. No one could really make an argument to me that I shouldn't drink it that I'm aware of. Um, this is for folks who maybe are, uh, let's think of an example, putting dairy in their tea and finding out that they have a bit of a lactose intolerance. So it's not working for them. Um, A bit of a silly analogy, but we need to be working with people who have just a bit of buy-in to make a change in their lives. Teresa, you're saying, sorry, you're late. No problem, but I did not have the links. Oh, all good. So glad you're here. All right. So the change can be about anything. It can be a health behavior. It could be social choices. Um, The folks that we work with, this could be incredibly broad and diverse and where people might be wanting or needing to make changes um often mi is thought of in the context of substance use or health behavior changes so it wouldn't be odd for a change to be related to an addiction or a behavioral problem or maybe a relationship issue um ambivalence is the the key sort of piece here and ambivalence very simply put just means you feel two ways about something or you think two ways about something you It could be think and or feel Um, it just it's a normal aspect of our our existence and our experience. And when we evaluate our experiences and our values and goals and things that drive us. Um, So it's very normative. And what else to say? Um, Oh, I see a question here. Can I help clients move from pre contemplation to contemplation? that is the hope in uh, many cases, is that we are moving people around the uh, stages of change or um, at least keeping engaged with them until they move. Um, So that's another, a big piece of what we're talking about today is engagement. And this can be, MI can be a tool that you use to just keep working with people Especially when there are so many instances around some of the examples I just mentioned, like addiction or behavioral health issues, people might experience stigma and not feel like they have much space or um, there will be much opportunity to work on things so that maybe they've internalized expectations about what they should or shouldn't be doing. And my sort of tries to break that down and helps to keep people engaged. So, yes, ideally, we are moving people from contemplation to things like preparation and action. And if someone is truly in pre-contemplation and sees no issue with their, with maybe a behavior that you would say, wow, that is actually harmful. I'm I'm very clearly seeing that me putting, um, let's say, whiskey in my tea at lunch is actually very harmful and there's no, there's no bones about that. so what, what really could happen is I could stay in pre-contemplation for a very long time, but you would stay engaged with me and I wouldn't feel judged for putting whiskey in my, in my teacup. Okay. Yeah. Trinity, you can definitely call in and you, you'll hear the audio. And if you're able to use your cell service you can likely see some of the video as well. All right. So motivational interviewing is an approach to help a person develop their own motivation and commitment to change. Um, In MI, we're not telling people what to do. We're not telling them our values. um, And nor do you just let someone sort of talk and follow wherever the conversation flows. So MI is more directive of a style than just just endless sort of reflective listening. There there is a bit of a goal here. We are trying to move people to a place where they are... determining what their reasons for change might be, making some plans about it. Um, we're, not, we're not just sort of floating along um, endlessly and listlessly with them. All right, I'm gonna give an example. Here's a brief example of a motivational interview. I would like to quit smoking, but I don't know if I can live without cigarettes. It is hard to imagine life without cigarettes, and yet you would like to quit. What are some reasons you would like to quit smoking? Well, I am worried I might get cancer and that my kids will have problems from secondhand smoke. It sounds like you have serious concerns about what smoking might do. Yes,
1: it really bothers me.
0: Okay, so there's an example. Um, What do we think about that? What do we see in there? Um, We are seeing some change talk at the end there, um, which we haven't quite gotten into defining. Uh, we see a reflection by the provider there and we're seeing um, uh, multiple examples of reflection and to elicit further conversation. So let's get into the four processes of MI. Um, I'm not entirely sure why they stuck that example right there and then don't have much follow up for it. If It feels a bit awkward to me, but let's get into the meat of it, okay? All right, engaging. So this last scenario maybe sort of demonstrated an example of MI very lightly. Um, Engaging is establishing a helpful connection and a working relationship. So it's a prerequisite for literally everything that follows. This is maybe the the first thing you do when you're working with a client, no matter what, even if you're not doing MI. You're developing rapport, you're establishing an understanding, you're, you're showing them that you are hearing them, that you're listening to them. Um, And the quality of your relationship, the quality of your rapport, the trust you start to build and their, their belief that you will accept them as they are is really gonna determine the effectiveness of every intervention that follows, right? And if someone just stays in treatment. All right, focusing. So this is about developing and maintaining a specific direction in your conversation about change. Great, this is a bit of a directive process. Um, So focusing is maybe what we'll talk about next week, uh, more so, and that's that's gonna get into the skillfulness of trying to pick out the pieces of what someone's saying in a way that makes them feel fully heard for what they're saying, that you're not cherry picking, but you are also trying to highlight aspects of what they're saying, trying to show them where there might be discrepancy between um, some some of the things they feel ambivalent about and how they might uh, move forward with that. Right, evoking. So evoking is about eliciting and eliciting the person's motivations for change is the ticket here. So this occurs when there's a focus on a particular change and you can harness the person's own ideas and feelings about why and how they might do it. Evoking is a really nuanced skill. Evoking is often what people sort of struggle with the most about MI. Uh, it's how do you, how do you elicit without telling, and how do you make sure that your own agenda <clears throat> and motivations for change that you might have for the person, um, aren't shining through. That more so you are leading the person to their own understanding. Okay, and then planning. So planning encompasses. Both um, developing commitment to change and coming up with a specific plan of action. So this is later stage. And when we think about the stages of change, uh, which I'll show a visual for in a little bit, um, that's this is a later piece, right? Um, maybe if we're in preparation or action, we're doing some planning for change, but you might not jump the gun on that and do it earlier. Um, sometimes it's really worth really exploring with someone and doing these first three pieces, engaging, focusing, and evoking for a a while first before moving to planning. Um, But this occurs when a person's motivation reaches a threshold of readiness for change, and they start talking about how they might make a change. All right. So let's talk about the spirit of MI. Has anyone heard of the spirit of MI? Is that familiar? You might've seen it as an acronym called PACE. This is just a slightly different version of that Um, where PACE is partnership, this is collaboration. So I guess it's CASE instead. Okay, let's go through each of these and talk about what they mean. So collaboration or partnership, Um, this is where MI really honors autonomy um, and that people are the experts within themselves or for themselves. Um, Ideally, the provider is not doing any judging, not asking lots of questions unless they're open-ended, and talking less, talking away less, saying things that are going to prompt someone to open up and share and explore their thoughts and feelings. Um, So collaboration involves remaining open and curious about the person's story, avoiding any coercive or persuasive language. And um, this is sort of like, it's necessary that active participation between the provider and the person be occurring. If that's not, if it's not working, it's really necessary to pivot and uh, shift your approach to really fit the style of the person you're working with. Um, So you've got to kind of keep pace with them. All right, so you're gonna work together to decide how to move forward. Let's look at acceptance next. When we're accepting, folks, we're seeing the worth and potential of the person. And for MI to really embody that spirit, to really have it be effective, we need to get on board with this. So the acceptance piece, we don't have to agree with everyone's choices. You don't have to agree with me putting whiskey or dairy in my tea, Um, but you do have to accept that I'm doing that and that I'm at where I'm at with it. And the reason for this is if people do not feel accepted, they have any number of psychological defenses that will arise. A popular one would be shutting down and not saying anymore and not staying engaged. Um, so acceptance has to do with not necessarily agreeing, but just accepting where the person is at and showing that it's okay that they're there. Um, that, and it's definitely okay that they shared it with you. In fact, let's encouraged that they shared it with you. Um, it really respects the right uh, for self-direction. This is autonomy support. Um, understanding the world through their eyes has to do with accurate empathy, getting more precise and making sure you're, 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 you're checking in with the person. If you are offering some empathy or reflective listening to say, did I get that right? I want to make sure I'm understanding you right and that I'm, I'm showing that to you. Um, and really, it's going to acknowledge strength and effort. So you can affirm someone for sharing, for being brave enough to share with you, even if maybe you think the choices they're, they're making aren't ideal and you wouldn't necessarily want to affirm that choice. You can affirm that they shared it and that you can understand why they would make the decisions they make, that their reality makes sense for them. And as probably goes without saying, any disapproval or really approval kind of just flies in the faces of acceptance. Acceptance is very middle of the road. Okay, evocation. Um, so evocation starts with a strength focused, strengths, focused premise. Um, and again, people are experts in their own lives and people have strengths and resources you can draw out. So evocation isn't exclusively about let's find, let's get this person to change. Let's get this change shot going. Let's, let's get this drummed up. It also has to do with helping someone feel like they have the resources to change. So MI isn't particularly effective if the problem or the change necessary is too overwhelming and big, just too, too much to bite off. There probably needs to be some smaller goal setting to par that down. And it also isn't effective if, if people don't, literally don't have the resources to change. So if I am reliant on any particular behavior for as a coping skill and I don't have a replacement coping skill or I, let's see here, like I can't go to sleep at night, let's say without some sleep aid and maybe I'm using a substance that isn't very, that has some other consequences and there's something else I could be doing. But until I get that other option, maybe it's a, maybe it's something prescribed or maybe it's some sleep hygiene, um, some sleep hygiene skills or something like that. I might not be able to make that change just straight out. So working with me to figure out what strengths and resources I have at my behest and what I don't, what I need to develop or or, uh, gain access to is an important piece of evocation. So that's a bit of the practical side, but again, on sort of more of the spirit, you know, the way you talk about this, you want to frame things as not looking for deficits. You wanna look for, um, oh, Khadija, thank you, okay. Um, Sasha, if you want to see if you have any thoughts on that, people, Zoom is saying people are leaving that I'm actually leaving. Um, we want to avoid the writing reflex. The writing reflex is that drive to sort of help someone or fix someone when you see that they're under resourced. We just have to focus on working with folks in a pragmatic manner that just looks at these things as sort of, you know, resources are there or aren't there, strengths are there or aren't there and thinking pragmatically about how to increase them and look for opportunities for someone wanting to change. Okay, compassion. I think we all know what this one is. Um, But in MI's context uh, for the spirit of MI, compassion has to do with ensuring that a person's best interests, needs and goals are met. It's not about sympathy, it is about empathy. Um, it's, it's most certainly about empathy and that's a huge skill of conveying compassion, but perhaps to support the rest of the spirit, compassion is sometimes a bit of a contemplative state that we can exist in as providers, where we really consider what it would be like to walk in someone else's shoes and just try, and, try on their, their rationalizations and motivations for why they are behaving the way they are, why they're making the choices they are at this exact time. Okay, any questions with that? Any thoughts on that? Are any of these particularly hard? Do you all struggle with any? I still think evocation is a difficult concept. Um, it's hard sometimes for me uh, when I do clinical work to not want to overly point out how many resources a person might've had that they didn't realize they had earlier than it was appropriate. Um, and coming off in a moment, which we'll go through. uh, What is an MI trap of being a bit of a premature focuser or an over expert? Yeah, evocation for sure. Yeah, takes practice. MI is straightforward, but it takes practice.
1: Yeah, Cindy, you're agreeing. Okay, let's keep going. Engaging. So, oops,
0: excuse me, as we talked about earlier, engaging is really the process of establishing a mutually trusting and respectful helping relationship. So there are two important reasons to spend time engaging with a person. Um, and this is a bit of a reiteration, but first is in, it engages, I'm sorry, it increases the likelihood that a person will return for additional sessions. And they aren't gonna dip out and lose contact with you and they're not gonna go into outreach and engagement, the other type of engagement <laughs> that they'll actually continue sharing with you, talking with you and following up with you. Um, second is that good engaging develops a stronger working alliance, which in turn predicts whether someone continues with treatment and actually makes progress towards their recovery. So. Am I something that it's not ideal for it to be done once every three months or once a month? This should be sort of infused into all of your conversations to support the engagement and to support sort of movement around motivation for
1: change. Okay.
0: Sorry, my throat is going a little bit today. I apologize if I get a bit raspy. So from the client's perspective, there are some sort of like engagement or engaging related questions that they might be thinking about during their initial sessions with you. Um, And it's important to sort of on the compassion front for us to remember, this is what it feels like to start to share your your experiences, your goals, your strengths, your resources, areas where you struggle, your story uh, with someone, especially if there are any stigmatized behaviors that they have been maybe judged or criticized for in the past. Um, so some examples might be, does this person respect me? Does, it, does my provider respect me? Do I feel understood? Is my therapist, case manager, whomever, psychiatrist, trustworthy? Can I trust them? Um, or do I have a say in what happens in our work together? Do I have autonomy? Um, and am, am I in charge of what we work on together? Am I sort of setting the course or I, am I being prescribed what is going to happen to me? Um, Who sets the priorities? So these are things that people are going to want to understand and know. And it's not that we have to answer all of these questions overtly. It is that we have to sort of create a space where they do feel understood by the way we show them we're listening. They do feel respected by the way we honor their experiences and priorities. And we absolutely need to use skills like shared decision-making and other autonomy-supportive clinical skills to show them that they are, uh, they are a huge contributor to your path together. You're there as a resource and to walk along beside them, but they are really the one determining their own goals. All right, so let's talk about MI traps. Um, I love these because I lo- really am good at falling into them. <laughs> and I feel, I feel understood when I read about MI traps. So the assessment trap, this has to do with asking too many questions upfront because it can make a person feel uncomfortable. So if I meet any individual, I'm gonna say Cindy because you're the last person to comment in the chat. I meet Cindy and I just start peppering Cindy with a bunch of questions about Cindy's history and their uh, goals and their motivations and their behavior patterns. Um, which we have to do. In many cases, biopsychosocial assessments and other assessments require a lot of questions. They absolutely do. Um, That can be a bit um, uncomfortable making. So it it creates an atmosphere where the person will simply just wait um, until, wait passively even for the next question instead of like taking ownership of the conversation. Uh, It might not be clear to the person how and why all of these questions are necessary. This is why it's really critical to front end any assessment with lots of disclaimers that this isn't the way you'll normally be discussing things. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a process. Um, And it doesn't give a person a chance, the chance to explore their motivation and consider change because they're just responding. They're not thinking creatively. They're not like blending um, uh, feelings and cognitions at all really and reflecting on their past and, their, and um, how it's relevant. And this communicates that the provider is really not interested in what the person feels or thinks. Okay, expert trap. Um, this has to do with uh, <laughs> coming off as if you have all the answers. So sometimes if you ask too many questions, it will make it seem like you have answers also. Um, that's just sort of like a natural thing i'm not quite sure why but it seems to occur for humans when we interact Um, and when you don't have all the answers for your client uh each of you the provider and the client might feel disappointed so we have to as a provider um deal with uh the frustration we the frustration each time you tell them what to change and they don't listen or follow through on our advice when we are over experting in someone else's life we will end up frustrated and we will have to do even more acceptance work just to get back to a place where we've checked our own agenda, right? Um, So the expert trap is something I've certainly fallen into. And the premature focus trap, um, this is where we get really excited about, oh my gosh, we've done this assessment, we understand what's going on with the person, we see these opportunities, we see their resources, their strengths, we see their deficits, and we've already got the plan laid out. So it's our attempts to work on what you think, what we think the problem is with the client before we've really developed the working relationship that's necessary to have that sort of um, dialogue. Um, so your focus is on a different problem possibly than the problem that the person is focused on, your client. Um, and this can cause a struggle in the conversation of what you think should be the focus and what the person wants to discuss. Um, yes, you can access the slides afterward and Sasha can put that link in the chat, uh, Priya. And this trip can leave each party frustrated. So. It's not a good one. It can be meant well. Premature focus is very easy to do with great intentions. Um, and it's, it's an easy one to start to catch when you realize that you are leading rather than sort of walking alongside um, and not following, but walking alongside and making sure if we're asking too many questions and then giving a lot of information, it's possible we're doing the premature focus thing. All right, labeling. Labeling definitely shouldn't be happening. Who knows the the dangers of labeling across the board, am I or not? So labeling is limiting. Labeling perpetuates stigma. Um, This can happen when we identify a problem and we give it a name. Um, And sometimes we do that with diagnosis, right? It's a, a thing that's necessary in our field for communication, for billing. But when you're working with someone, if you say they share with you I, my mom's been gone five years. And I miss it so much, miss her so much, even though she was, uh, abusive to me and you'd call that uh complicated grief. Okay. Now we know what that is versus saying, gosh, that sounds so difficult. Um, you really miss her and you feel, uh, what's a good example. Someone threw it in the chat. Um, and you feel whatever feeling about her as well. Don't have enough information for context here. But if I just say, we know what that is clinically, that limits the conversation. And in this case, that's not a label that might carry much stigma, but others do. So a person may resist or reject their problem and not wanna talk about it more based on the label, right? That happens with diagnosis sometimes. People don't wanna be a certain label, a certain diagnosis. And you have mixed feelings perhaps. Great, Cindy, thank you. Um, so this label can cause discord in the working relationship due to self-esteem, of course. Labels limit us. They make us feel smaller, usually. Um, and if there's accuracy of the label or there's a lot of stigma attached to it from the outside world that's been perhaps internalized, that can be harmful. And it will certainly impact their willingness to be open with you. All right. So Any questions so far?
1: All right. Talk about good
0: listening. So, what's good listening? It's it's first critical to engagement and reflective listening, which is the best listening. Um, we're gonna say is fundamental to all four processes of MI. It's sort of the it's the it's the bones of MI. It's the it's the absolutely critical piece. Um, So often change comes about as people reflect on and explore their own experiences and perceptions. And good listening doesn't derail a person, um, but it helps them move forward considering and exploring experiences and feelings that may be uncomfortable. Um, So listening helps someone explore. It keeps them talking. And as we know, it's, it's it's critical for us to try to allow the talking to occur, even if we're hearing things that make us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes listening to someone talk about putting whiskey in their tea at noon might make us feel like, oh god, I really need to step in here because that's just not good. They're going to, you know, they're going to get in trouble at work. <laughs> they're going to get a DUI driving home, you know, all these consequences. But if there's if space to just listen to me talk about it, we might get to a point where I could change that behavior in the future, right? Um, and I'm going to, everyone is going to know more about what's going on with good listening. So these are some examples of roadblocks to good listening. And I'm just gonna go through a couple examples here. Let's take the example of a client saying, excuse me, I don't want to take my medication anymore, okay? So long list here, 12 ways that I can fail at listening. Um, One example might be directing. Uh, You have to take your medication, that's number one. That seems like it's not gonna go go well. Uh, Warning, cautioning or threatening, saying, If you don't take your medication, you'll end up in the hospital. That's not listening. That's not gonna further the conversation. Um, How about moralizing or preaching? You should take your medication. It's the right thing to do. What about um, agreeing, approving, or appraising? An interesting roadblock. So this can sound like, I can see why you might want to stop your medication. Also a bit, possibly empathetic and possibly a little bit of listening. It seems like a bit of a reflection, maybe reflecting how someone feels, but it actually sort of goes more towards, I agree with you and I'm approving. It's not quite middle of the road enough. It's not quite, um, there's a bit of a judgment there and approval there. But how about interpreting or analyzing? You want to stop your medication because of what your friend's will think if they find out. So in this case, I am giving them a reason why they want to do something rather than restating or summarizing or reflecting the reason they've given me. Um, and withdrawing, distracting or humoring. Okay, let's talk about finding you a job. So changing the subject, letting them uh, move away from the topic, uh, because I see that since their discomfort with it, um, or that it's a, it's a challenging topic, or maybe I'm responding to my own. But these are all examples of roadblocks to good listening. Any questions on any of these? Or number 10, reassuring, sympathizing, or consoling, I feel really badly how things are going for you.
1: What happens when I say that?
0: I feel really badly. If you're my client, do you now wanna help me feel better? Cause I've just said, I feel really badly. All right. I see a question. Why is questioning or probing a roadblock? Maybe we probe too much. Um, So if I've said, I don't want to take my medication anymore, and let's say the questioning happens, it sounds like, why do you want to stop? Tell me what's going on with you. Um, It might feel like I have to prove why I don't want to take my medication anymore, that I have to give evidence for it and convince you as a client versus just just a simple, like, oh, I hear what you're saying. You don't want to take your medication anymore. Um, Literally paraphrasing that back. Um, And there could be better reflections than that. But in this case, I think it's exactly that. Uh, Proving too much or just making someone feel like they've they've got to substantiate something that they feel or think. Let's talk about ORS real quick. So these are our... um, open-ended questions, affirmations, reflective listening, and summarizing. And let's do a little activity real quick. Um, Where do we think these fit? So what do we think, which which one of these on the left here, affirmation, reflective listening, open-ended question, or summarizing, invites a person to reflect before responding and gives them latitude for how to answer. It cannot be answered with a yes, no, or short answer. What do you all think? Which one of these fits? open-ended? All right, in the interest of time, I'm gonna go with the first answer so you all can (laughs) race to match these up. All right, what do we think about, this pulls the information together that the person has offered and can be used to collect, link, and or transition
1: to a new direction. What do we think?
0: Affirmation, reflective listening or summarizing? summarizing? Summarizing, okay, thank you. See an affirmation, I hear an affirmation, excellent. And how about listening carefully to understand a person's thoughts or feelings and then offering it back to the person. It confirms you've understood correctly. Let's find out. <laughs> Here we go, here's the answer. And honestly, summarizing reflective listening have a lot of overlap. They summarizing is simply uh, saying, uh, reflecting more things at once, right? It's reflecting themes of things across multiple statements. Okay, so these are our oars. And let's practice a little bit here. Um, so we've got a 25 year old woman who's going to see you for the second time. Um, she's worried she might be drinking too much. Um, she's feeling very depressed and has trouble sleeping and feels people are talking about her behind her back. So let's use ORS and figure out some good responses. So how would you start the meeting? Try an open-ended question. So which of these feels like an open-ended question? One, two, three, or four. Um, For those who can't see this necessarily, we're saying hello, I'm glad to meet you for number one. What has happened since the last time we met? Number two, hello, I hope things are a little better for you. Are you still feeling depressed and having trouble sleeping? Number three, hello. We only have 45 minutes together. Let's see if we can find ways to make things better for you. And the fourth, hello, the last time we met, you said you were worried about your drinking. How much did you drink last week? So we got a lot of number ones and I agree, okay? What's going on with this, with number two and number four though? We've got some questions here, what are they? What's wrong with these questions? Are you still feeling depressed or having trouble sleeping? And how much did you drink last week? They're probing questions and they're yes, no, right? They're not open-ended. So these are what we call closed-ended questions. I can answer, are you still feeling depressed and having trouble sleeping with a yes or no? And how much did you drink last week is a number. So that doesn't give me the opportunity to say a lot of words. What, how are you feeling? Tell me about, um, those are ways to get people to say a lot more words, right? Yeah, there's some judgment in there too, possibly Karen. Yeah, for sure. Oop, didn't select that.
1: Okay, correct.
0: Let's try another one. Um, well, I'm still depressed. Uh, and worried people are talking about me, but I pushed myself to come in today. So which statement below is an affirmation? Well, I think you can try, can try. sorry. if you. I think if you try, you can start feeling better is number one. Number two, it makes me feel good that you came in today, even though you've been having so many problems. Number three, that shows you really want to work on your problems. You were determined to come in, even though it was a difficult week. Number four, I think you're the type of person who thinks things are worse than they are. All right, number three, that's what we're gonna go with. Okay, what's wrong with number two? It makes me feel good that you came in today even though you've been having so many problems. What's wrong with number two? Yeah, talking about my feelings, I'm feeling good. So that's gonna make them feel like they should probably do that thing again. (laughs) Um, It's gonna sort of direct them for the wrong reasons. Continue. Wonderful. All right. Number three, I really want to feel better, but I'm drinking more than ever. And that only makes me feel worse and more depressed. And then I can't sleep. Things kind of snowball. So which statement below is a reflection? We've got how much are you drinking Is number one. Number two, your drinking is making things worse, not better. Number three, how do you feel after you drink? And number four, you should know that drinking makes people feel more depressed. So this is, a which statement below is a reflection? And, okay. So while I would say, how do you feel after you drink is an open-ended question and it's not a bad question. um, As a reflection, we might be needing it to not have a question mark, right? So you've got two or four, And I'm gonna, people are saying two, and I think two is correct. How much are you drinking is certainly a close-ended question, which is a reflection. Three is an open-ended question, but not a reflection. And four is giving some information uh, that they didn't really ask permission for, right? Okay. All right. Um, And So which of the following is an example of a summary? Now, you might have to look at these folks who can see their screens. If you're connecting by phone, it might take me a little long time to read all these out loud. So we'll go through it quick for those that can glance at this, which of these seems like a summary. Okay, we've got some number twos coming in. That's, you are tired of feeling depressed and the only thing that helps is to drink, even though that makes things worse seems almost too hard to keep coming here. You're getting tired of having to push yourself so hard. No one understands what you're going through. You don't know which way to turn. Okay. And then we've got number one, you have been feeling depressed and haven't been able to sleep. You've been drinking more, which makes things worse, but you really want to feel better. So you pushed yourself to come in today. You're looking for something that can help you. Do I have that right? All right, so what's the difference in one and two? One is a, a little more balanced, right? We're sort of, we're teasing out some strengths, maybe some positive pieces instead of number two. Damn, if I heard that from someone, I'd be like, God, I really do have it rough. You know, I might feel a little bit discouraged. And this is where MI is. It does just cherry pick a little bit. and um, does try to highlight uh, to keep a bit of a balanced For some reason, a balanced reflection on what the person is thinking, what they're saying, and feeling, asking if you have it right as well. Yeah, right. So number two isn't terrible. It's not. It's not wrong in some ways. It's just maybe reflecting some some of the feelings that might make some in in too much of a um, emphasized way that it might make someone feel just. uh, uh, like their their difficult feelings are being magnified, but the bits of hope that, that might've been observed in their behavior with their consistency and coming in and things like that, isn't being observed. So let's try number one. All right.
1: Correct. Okay.
0: So it is 12.58 and we are not done. So what I'm gonna do is save the rest of this content for next Wednesday. Um, The remaining pieces for today would have been reflective listening, Um, and it's it's really not that much more, Um, and then I'm going to do some summarizing summarizing with some slides of the concepts that we covered uh, via my own slide deck, and then we're going to go through another one of these that's around focusing, Um, so that will be, I think, I wanted to see how today went, but I think that'll be the agenda for next week's session, if anyone is able to come and join me again. If you're not able to come next week, you have access to the slide deck and it will summarize all of these uh, concepts and skills. And you can absolutely log in, create your CPI login and access these trainings on your own time as well. So what I just went through today is an example of what you could do by yourself, with your teams, whomever, how many of these courses uh, are you asking about these summer refresher courses or the CPI modules? Um, if you let me know which one you mean, I will. Yeah, which one? <laughs> Sorry, you said yes. I don't know which one you mean. Um, for the modules, there's a bunch of them, and that that slide that had that big list of the FSP specific modules. Um, there's a there's I don't know, gosh, like 25 to 35 possibly. So I should tell me if I'm getting that wrong. These summer refresher courses um, for MI. We're just doing another one next week. All right, so I'm gonna check the chat for any questions, but you're free to go, it's one o'clock. I really hope you have a great rest of the afternoon. Thanks for coming and participating.